thanks for downloading the audio podcast of this week's sermon. We pray you'll be blessed and encouraged with the words you hear. So the title this morning is The Four Square Gospel. It's our DNA as Pentecostals. It's our heritage as a movement within Elam. And we believe in Jesus as the Savior, the Healer, the Baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and the Coming King. If you'll turn with me, please, or switch on a device, if that's how you read your Bible, to Revelation chapter 1. And we're going to read just the first nine verses just before we look at God's word this morning. Revelation 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness of the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That last song that we were singing, it was all about the glory of God, wasn't it? I'm sure you picked that up. Uh, We want to lift him high. That's what we were doing as we were praising and worshiping the Lord. We were lifting his name high. We were glorifying him. And that's what John is telling us in this, the first chapter of Revelation. Verse seven, behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. We thank God for the public reading of his word. Elam, as you prob- most of you probably know, some may not, was founded over a century ago by a young Welsh firebrand preacher by the name of George Jeffreys. He was saved in the Welsh revival of 1904. It was this powerful spiritual awakening that brought about 100,000 souls to Christ. And the revival storm that hit the hills and the valleys of Wales at that time would become a hurricane that swept throughout the whole world. So in 1915, George Jeffreys was invited by a few godly Christian men to Monaghan, the town of Monaghan, just over the border as it is today, where they met in the local temperance hall. These men all had a a burning desire to see souls saved. 
And as a result of that meeting of hearts and minds, the Elam Evangelistic Band, as we uh, know it, was formed. And they were formed to spread the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit to Ireland and beyond. Soon, a number of extremely successful tent missions were held and many precious souls were saved. And it wasn't long until the first few Elam churches were established. The very first one to become Elam's home was in 1916 in Hunter Street in Belfast, a former laundry that was converted to a church close to the Donegal Road. And interestingly, interestingly, as I was reading up on that uh, just a few days ago, the first ever Elam member was accepted into membership in this very church in Hunter Street in Belfast. It was an elderly lady simply known as Grandma Farr. I thought that was amazing. They didn't have any other details. Grandma Farr was the first ever Elam member. And then other churches, such as Bambridge, came into existence after a five-week mission which was held in a portable hall in an area called the Foul Market. And then Portadown and Lurgan in County Armagh, that would be our home uh, town, uh, as well as Ballymena and Collybacky, closer to home here, were among some of the earliest churches to be established on the island. In fact, the Elam Evangel, anyone ever heard of the Elam Evangel? I'm sure a few of you have. Um, In December 1920, it listed Elam workers of the day in Ireland. There were 20 in total. This was in 1920. Six were recognized as pastors and 12 were recognized as evangelists. I thought that was very interesting that the mix then was that there was twice as many evangelists on the road Uh, holding tent missions, uh, holding crusades than there were pastors. But obviously, the movement as it was was in its very, very early stages. I'll take time to mention them because I think it's important. The six pastors who were recognized were George Jeffries. He was in Belfast. Edward Hare, Bangor. Robert Mercer, Ballymena. Gilbert Fletcher, Portadown. G. Every, Money Slain. And Ernest Phillips, Armagh. And then there were 12 evangelists. I'll not take time to mention their names. However, the last evangelist who's mentioned is a lady called Miss Straight. Interesting. Two other lady workers, the wives of two of the pastors, were recognized as deaconesses, Mrs. Every in Money Slain and Mrs. Fletcher in Portadown. The same evangel in 1922 lists all the Elam churches and centers of witness. And interesting that it says centers of witness because each and every one of them weren't actually churches at that time. Some were. And I'm going to take the time to read them out if I can pronounce them properly. And you may, I did look every one of them up, you may recognize some. There was Belfast, Ballymena, Cullibacky, Portadown, Lisburn, Rasharkin, Balamani, Balanamore, Moneyslain, Erskylane, forgive me if I'm not pronouncing these right, uh, Bangor, Armagh, Lurgan, Tully Nahinnan, Anakmore, Tully Glush, Balmoral, Bally Tyrone, Bambridge, Newton Ards, Bally Gelly. I don't think I have uh, said any of them twice, if I have, forgive me. A month or two later, centres at Stranokan and Lys Drumbrokus. Does that sound right? 
You don't know it either, so I could tell you anything, had been added. They were not all churches as that term would normally be understood. Some of them were, but others were simply centers, and in some cases, private homes where regular meetings were being held, 1922. So there were 23 centers of expressions of churches over a century ago. The first record of Elam's work in Balamani dates from 1922. You probably know this better than I do. By which time, in 1922, the fellowship had already been established. In 1929, a new hall in Henry Street. Does that make sense to anyone? And Henry Street was opened by Pastor Robert Mercer. Early leaders of the work included Pastors Strong, Cooper, Shadlock, Hood, and Childs. So, as a church fellowship here, uh, if you were old enough and well enough to have been here for a hundred years, you would have seen many pastors um, come and take on the work here. Now, I would like to do a little exercise, if I could, this morning. And this kind of also gets into my mind, uh, kind of the, the breakup or the DNA of our church here. And I'm thinking of next Sunday morning as well. So if you've been coming to the church uh, roughly six or seven months, so we'll call it from about July last year, could you put your hands up, please? Just from about roughly about July last year. Okay. Um, and so from about July last year back to about, say, two years ago. Could you put your hand up? Okay, just a few. So anyone here between two and five years? Okay. Yeah. What about five and ten years? Okay, there's a few more hands coming up. What about 10 to 20 years? Now, maybe you have to think about this. Put your hands up. Roughly between about 10 and 20 years. Actually, some of you don't even look old enough. 20 to 30 years? Very interesting. Okay. 40 to 50 years? Really? Okay. Is anyone coming to the church 50 plus years? One, keep your hands up, put them up really high. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Isn't that amazing? Can we just give them all a really big clap? Wow, that was interesting. Thank you so much for, uh, for playing that wee game with me. Elam today in Ireland has 60 expressions of church, both north and south. In the UK, there are about 550. Whereas worldwide, the Elam family has extended its borders into over 40 countries. And the weekly attendance globally would be in the region of 300,000 people. Why am I telling you that? Why am I giving you all these statistics? Simply, we are part of a very big family. Sometimes when people are in church, and I'm not referring necessarily to here, but in church, you can think that there's maybe not a lot happens outside of what happens in your own fellowship. You're aware of different wee bits and pieces. But I think it's fantastic to know that we are part of an Elam church family that would have around 300,000 people globally. But of course, we're part of a bigger 
network, aren't we? We're part of the church family. Although Elam is above the door, it's the kingdom that we're interested in. I'm just giving you context here and giving you a wee bit of background and a wee bit of history. The official charity which we belong to is known as the Elam Foursquare Gospel Alliance. Phil would know this very well in the elders, EFGA for short. It's this term, Foursquare, that I would like us to focus on today. Foursquare is a very important word. It's a very important meaning. As we can see here, it's Foursquare of a building or structure having a square shape and solid appearance like a, a four-square Georgian house or of a person or quality that you are firm and resolute, a four-square and formidable hero or the adverb four-square, squarely and solidly like a castle standing four-square on a peninsula or firmly and resolutely in support of someone. You stand four square behind somebody or something. So four square represents that which is, number one, equally balanced, but it also represents that which is established and enduring. You're getting the picture, I'm sure. It's the four square pillars of our Pentecostal heritage, Saviour, healer, baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and coming king that we want to concentrate on this morning. These are the four cornerstones of our Pentecostal faith. They are the bedrock or the foundation of what we believe and practice. In other words, you could put it another way, that it's the complete or the full gospel. The four-square gospel is the complete or the full gospel. And the phrase four-square gospel became Elam's battle cry. It became their mantra, their standard. And so we declare this morning as a church and as a leadership, we declare unequivocally and unashamedly that Jesus is our saviour, he's our healer, he's our baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and he is our soon coming king. So let's have a wee look at these four elements, these four square elements. And if you're taking notes, this will be up on the screen for a little while. We're going to be looking at our saviour, and that speaks of our conversion. We're going to be looking at Jesus as our healer, and that speaks of our completeness. We're going to be looking at Jesus as the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and that will speak of our courage. And then we will look at Jesus as our coming king, and that will speak of our crown. And so it all begins with salvation. It's about our conversion. That's our starting point and our reference point for absolutely everything. And we declare this morning that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We unashamedly preach a gospel of repentance. Put simply, that we must turn our lives around, that a change must take place. You see, repentance is not when you cry. Repentance is when you change. It's not when you cry. It's when you change. This is known as our conversion. For a convert, something is to bring about change. 
If we were to convert this building, for example, Hunter Street that I mentioned to you in 1916 was a, a former laundry. It had to be converted into a church probably a hundred and Seven years ago, there wouldn't have been the same health and safety issues, I'm sure. But if we were to convert this building, say, to become a restaurant, and you might think, oh, that's, that's crazy, and yes, it is. But truthfully, that's happening all over the UK. That's happening in major cities. That's happening more than we imagine. But if that were to happen, there would be many changes that would be needing to take place. In planning, we would need to obtain planning permission for change of use. You would need an architect and a good one like Johnny to draw up the plans to show what internal and external changes would be necessary. Then you would need to employ a builder. I don't know if there's any builders here, but I know there's quite a few folks who are good with their hands. They're good craftsmen. You would need to employ a builder or craftsmen to bring about those changes to convert the church from a place of worship to an eating establishment. And if we think of it in sporting terms, I'm sure a few of you watched the the rugby yesterday. Um, A conversion is when you kick the ball uh, through the posts and over the line. A change happens where you convert the try from one set of points to another larger set of points. Great on that point, of course, that Ireland gave Wales a right old good thump on yesterday. I hope there's nobody with Welsh blood in I and beat. I just get myself into trouble all the time here. But when God offers us the gift of salvation, although he invites us to come as we are, because let's be honest, there's no other way to come to Jesus other than as we are. Our salvation, our conversion is shown as genuine and real when change happens. Our attitude should soften. Our desire should be less selfish and more selfless. Our conduct should be different. Our motives and our goals should become kingdom-based rather than grounded in worldly things. In other words, there's a change of ownership. I'm sure as you walk the streets, you've seen maybe uh, an existing building a business, and they've traded for a long time, and then all of a sudden you've seen under new management, somebody else has taken it over. That's what conversion's like. We are under new management. Somebody else is in charge, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our Savior. This is the fundamental principle of Christianity. It's the starting point of our faith and it's the first of our building blocks, the first of our pillars of our four square gospel. The second pillar of our four square gospel is that Jesus is our healer. Psalm 103 says, he forgives all my sins and he heals all my diseases. And Isaiah the prophet tells us that by his stripes we are healed. We had a a wonderful prayer line three weeks ago and uh, we believe that God did touch uh, some people in 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 a mighty way and we're continuing to pray for those who have needs and for those who have needs today. Our healing flows from the cross. Our healing is linked to and is a result of what Jesus suffered for us in his body. It's tied back and it's traced back to our salvation. 
And as I was reading, not just this week, but uh, I, I like to, to read historical things and especially about, about Elam. In those early days of the birth and the development of the Elam Pentecostal movement, when George Jeffries and that first Elam evangelistic band went about from town to town and city to city, they preached a glorious gospel a glorious gospel of not only salvation, but of healing. And thousands of people were miraculously healed in those early days. Legs were straightened and uh, lengthened and backs were straightened and diseases were cured. You can read all about it if you want to know what books you can read. Um, I've even got a, a wonderful um, email from Stephen Hilliard who has researched Elam in Ireland. I can pass that on to any of you if you want it. Malwyn Jones, uh, who is our official Elam historian, has written the first book and they came to Elam. That's the first 40 years. He's just about to finish his second book. It's good for us to, to read and to be inspired and encouraged what happened years ago because we want that to happen today. We don't want that just to be a historical document. We want to experience today the power of God healing and transforming lives. Signs and wonders followed the preaching of the word. People were not only gloriously saved, but they were mightily healed because there was a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit at work, not only in transforming and changing lives and souls, but in the miraculous of healing, physical healing. Of course, the term salvation in its fullest meaning is not only healing for our soul, but as healing for our body too. If you're making notes this morning, the word salve, S-A-L-V-E, or salvation refers to the ointment which is applied to promote healing to the skin. You get a wee, a wee rash or a, a gash or a, a cut on your skin and you get some sort of ointment. You get some salve. You put it on it. You rub it in. And that will heal that wound. Salvation has its origin in Latin from the word salvere, S-A-L-V-E-R-E, where we get the meaning to be well, salvere, to be well. And then lastly, the Greek word for saved is soza, S-O-Z-O, which means to be whole, to be whole. You understand what we're saying here. Salvation is physically, mentally, and spiritual healing. Salvation brings wholeness. Being saved makes us complete. Becoming a Christian brings about restoration, sin, that broke the bond and the relationship with God has been restored again through salvation. We are brought back into fellowship with God and that's what we call reconciliation. And we do believe with every fiber of our being that Jesus is the healer. Are there many unanswered questions? Yes. Do we fully understand why some people are healed and others aren't? No. Do we question God at times? Yes, we do. But regardless of whether someone receives healing when we pray for them or not, we will still trust God. Recently, Elam Sound, uh, if you've heard of them, released a, a new song, and it's simply called, I Have a Saviour. And there's a line within that song, and it says this, if there's, not, if there's a miracle or not, 
you're still a good God. If there's a miracle or not, you're still a good God. But I'll say this, we will always pray for the miracle. We will always believe. We will always exercise as much faith as we possibly can when we will pray with you. For some reason, I've had two pictures in my mind all week. They're not, they're not visions or anything like that. They're, they're biblical pictures. One is of uh, the lady who was bent double. Do you remember that? Um, I just felt that I was given a wee nudge during the week. You know, we talked about it last week, that wee spiritual nudge. I have no idea why I'm saying this, so I'm just throwing that out there. But that woman who was bent double, and um, I just, in my mind, I just saw this woman who, who was totally bent double and Jesus laid his hands on her and healed her. So this woman would have been walking about. You've seen the odd person, I'm sure. I've seen the odd person and and this curvature of the spine. And literally they're walking and and their their face and their head is is towards the ground because they're, they're actually bent double. And I was just thinking about, wow, what a miracle. Jesus touched this woman and healed her and she became straight and she walked. And the other nudge or the other picture that I had in my mind all week is on another occasion when this man had a withered hand. You remember that story? And I was trying to look up images of what a a withered hand looked like and didn't kind of do much other than the fact that in my mind uh, if you've got two hands and and, and one is perfect now I've got wee small hands okay uh, and wee fat fingers just putting it out there but you imagine you've got one good hand and you've got another hand and it is just it's not even half the size it's just so thin it's withered you know this picture of something that's withered is is something that's that's dying and this man had this withered hand. I can, I can only imagine that when this man walked about, um, and of course they had, I suppose, their cloaks around them, this man would have hidden. He would have done his best. I imagine if it was me, I probably would have walked about. They wouldn't have had a shirt like me, but I, I imagine this man would have, maybe out of shame or embarrassment, might have hidden this withered hand. And again, Jesus asked him, he said, stretch out your hand. And he stretched out his hand and it was restored. It was, the word says, it, it's recorded in Matthew, Mark and Luke's gospel. All three gospels, the synoptic gospels. And it says this, it was restored normal like the other. And do you know the interesting thing about it? Both those miracles happened in church. They happened in the synagogue. There's healing in the church. There's, a, there's something powerful about meeting together with God's people and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm just putting it out there. I just felt a wee nudge to mention those two particular miracles, and we could have mentioned dozens. Now, the third pillar of our four-square gospel is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. There's one thing that marked the disciples out as being different after the experience of the day of Pentecost, and that was their courage. It was the infilling of the Holy Spirit that made all the difference. 
It changed them from being cowardly men to being courageous witnesses. These were disciples. These were people who had walked with Jesus. They had walked with him. They had talked with him. They had fellowshiped with him. They knew all about him. They had on-the-job training for three years. And yet what changed them from being cowardly men into being courageous witnesses was the infilling and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They were transformed from being uneducated and untrained to becoming eloquent and persuasive. You'll read that in the early chapters of Acts. Everyone noticed their newfound boldness. You see, the tongues of fire that fell on them that day sparked something within the pit of their bellies and it set them on fire for Jesus. Don't we need the fire? We need the fire of the Holy Spirit to fill us afresh, to energize us, to, to give us power. Uh, it, it comes from that root word, uh, you know, a pneumatic drill. You've, you've seen it. You've seen the boy and he's bouncing all over the place. And he has his headphones on or whatever to protect his ears. And even within the car, it's so loud. That's the power. That is, that is the root word of the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the pneumatics of it. The power of the Holy Spirit. And when they were set on fire by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, no longer did they run and hide. No longer were they ashamed to be associated with Jesus. No longer would they deny him or stay silent. We read about it last week, didn't we? About Stephen becoming the first martyr. James uh, was also beheaded by Herod, Acts chapter 12. Every one of the disciples bar one became martyrs for their faith. The Holy Spirit had given them courage. Courage to stand up and witness for the Lord. They had a Holy Ghost boldness. A divine confidence that made people sit up and take note of what they had to say. And so folks this morning, what's the application of this? Are we fearful when we think about witnessing, about evangelizing? Are we worried about what people will say? Are we doubting our own ability? Yes, we do. Yes, we are. I've been there. I'm sure that most of us, you know, don't find it easy to share our faith. What's the answer? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the promise is that you will receive power. You will receive courage. Paul says in Ephesians, we're uh, studying Ephesians at the moment, but we haven't got anywhere near chapter 5, says, I think it's verse 18, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The literal translation is be being filled. Be continually filled. It's a present continuous. It's a constant topping up, if we could put it that way, not just a a one-off experience. The Elam Constitution, which is uh, the rule book, because every, every movement needs to have a set of rules. The Elam Constitution, which is the rule book for our movement, says this of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the deity of the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son, the necessity of his work and conviction of sin, repentance, regeneration and sanctification, and that the believer is also promised an endowment of power as the gift of Christ through the baptism in the Holy Spirit with signs following. 
Through this endowment, the believer is empowered for fuller participation in the ministry of the church, its worship, evangelism, and its service. You see, we believe that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is for everybody. We don't just believe that it was for a specific dispensation. It wasn't just for the birth of the early church. It wasn't just for a select few heroes of the faith or a few individuals who might have been chosen or handpicked. The baptism in the Holy Spirit, the infilling, the empowering of the Holy Spirit is for every child of God. It's for every believer. As Pentecostals, we wholeheartedly and we unashamedly declare that it is for everyone. The Holy Spirit eagerly desires to fill people with his presence and his power again and again and again. Time wouldn't permit me this morning to go into a study, and perhaps sometime we will, through the book of Ephesians. Uh, Look at the gifts and, and perhaps look at speaking in tongues. Uh, It used to be years ago, and I'm going a wee bit off script here at the moment, it used to be years ago that Elam's belief was that uh, the signs following uh, the baptism in the Holy Spirit uh, was speaking in tongues, that if you didn't speak in tongues, that you weren't filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, you didn't have like a second experience. Things have changed, and and that is no longer part of the Constitution uh, or the belief. I know people who I believe with all of my heart are filled with the Holy Spirit. And they do not speak in tongues. That's, uh, that's for another day, but I'm just putting that out there. Because sometimes I think that some people in Pentecostal circles feel second rate or second class if they don't speak in the Holy Spirit with the, the, the gift of tongues. I, I don't want to go offline too much here because I'm conscious of time. And Wesley will be coming up shortly to lead us in communion. But that is a study that we will do some day. But I have no doubt in my life that I need, personally, I need the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to give me courage, to give me strength each and every day of my life. The last of our four pillars of our four square gospel is that Jesus is our coming king. He is our soon coming king and we will receive a crown. Peter reveals in his letter When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. James informs us in his letter, blessed is the one who perseveres for they will receive a crown of life. Folks, there's a crown awaiting us. A marvelous crown is awaiting us. Now, I don't think there's any chance that I'll receive a crown here this side of eternity. I don't know about any of you. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you'll get connected or uh, maybe somebody will ring you up someday and say, you're actually, you're related to Prince Charles. You're his third cousin, second time removed. You maybe get a crown someday. I don't know. But we will get a crown when Jesus calls us home or returns for us. Now, there are three tenses of salvation. Although we've talked about salvation, this is relevant to the fourth point and Jesus being the coming king. I'll leave that up for a little moment for anyone taking notes. There are three tenses of salvation. There's the past tense. We have been saved. Every one of us today who who are followers of Jesus Christ, we have been saved. We have been justified. We have been made righteous in God's eyes. And then there's the present tense We are being saved. 
We are working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We are in the process of being sanctified. That's the big long word of sanctification, another great biblical doctrine that we are working out our sanctification. We are working out our salvation on a daily basis. Why? So that we will become more like Christ through the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? Through the Holy Spirit. And lastly, the future tense, we will be saved. When Christ returns, we will be glorified. We will receive a, a glorified body. We will, we will have a, 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 new, a new identity. We will have that eternal hurtance. We will be given that crown, that crown as a reward for persevering with him. So when Christ returns or calls us home, we will receive the crown. Many believe that we're in the last of the last days. And do you notice what I said? Not just the last days, the last of the last days. It's nearly midnight. It's closer than ever. The Lord could be coming back very soon. Are we ready? Are we ready as Christians? Are we prepared for his arrival? Once again, the Elam Constitution says this about Jesus as the coming king. We believe in the personal, physical, and visible return of the Lord Jesus Christ to reign in power and glory. We believe in the personal, the physical, and the visible return of the Lord Jesus Christ to reign in power and glory. Our study in Ephesians, I think, is going quite well. And thank you for those who have been able to get out to it. Please, if you're coming on Tuesday, if you'll read verses 1 to 10 of chapter 1. But I hope that we will have a, a wee look at some of the end time stuff that is contained in these first few verses. But more than ever, folks, as I close this morning, we need to be awake. We need to be aware. We need to be active. And, of course, we need to be in anticipation for Jesus is our coming King He's coming to immobilize an army and he's coming for his bride. He's coming for the church. He's coming for you and he's coming for me. He's coming for his beautiful and his pure bride. And we will celebrate with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We will feast with our Savior at his table. We will enjoy his presence for eternity long. But in the meantime, we need to work and we need to witness and we need to tell others about that great event. We need to tell others about our great saviour, our conquering king. And so, folks, that's our four square gospel. That's the four pillars of what we believe. We believe in many other things, but that's the four pillars of the four square gospel, the complete gospel, that Jesus is our saviour, that we have been converted, that Jesus is our healer. He wants us to be complete and whole, that he is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. He wants to give us courage, that he's our coming king, and that speaks of our glorious crown. Praise his wonderful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like any more information, have a look at our website at www.com ballymoneyelam.com